So hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 88 of Level Up, 60 minutes of live Q&A, where your questions and votes really do drive, well, everything that we do. A very warm welcome to everybody who's joining us on LinkedIn and on YouTube. I can see lots of folks already um, who have joined us, which is brilliant. Please do just type in the chat, let us know your name and the city from where you are joining. That would be really brilliant. As you know, we love to hear from you and to get everybody involved. Um, Hayley is leading our social team online and she'll be posting a link into the chat for you to vote up the questions that you would most like answered. And of course, for you to add your own. We live stream Mondays at 8 and Fridays at 2 p.m. UK time to both YouTube and LinkedIn. Now, today, the first 10 of you whose live questions are selected to be answered by the panel well, your names will appear in the credits at the end of the show. So do get your questions in early and stay with us to see that happen. Today, we're going to be tackling quite a tricky subject for many organisations who have best intentions, but don't always find the right route to be able to truly make this happen. So we're going to be talking about how to build a culture of genuine inclusivity in your organisation and why it's so important to do so. You know, whether you deliver services or make products, a genuinely diverse and diverse and inclusive organization gives you a much improved chance of overall success. I think it was Jane Silber who headed up Canonical, who famously explained that the difference between diversity and inclusion is like being invited to a house and then being able to to rearrange the furniture. So a um, little thought for us to get going today. Joining us, we have a highly experienced panel who I am sure will help guide us through. So let's jump in straight away and meet them. Marion Bell is, of course, a management consultant with Blue Visions and the Institutes of Management. In her project and change consultancy programs, she really does focus on helping every individual access, participate and thrive. So welcome back to Level Up, Marion. Thanks very much, Nick. I'm very interested to be part of this conversation. It's just such an important aspect of project management. And I have a degree in industrial psychology, so it fascinates me to watch people and their behaviour in the workplace. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much, Marion. Thank you for giving us some of your time today. Making her first appearance on Level Up today is Danielle Hellebrand. She is the owner and CEO over at Better Brains at Work. Danielle holds a master's degree in cognitive neuroscience and specialises in coaching executives, sharing a passion for applying discoveries about the social brain in her coaching. She helps her clients to practically apply those techniques. Welcome to Level Up, Danielle. Lovely to see you. Thank you for having me. It's my first time and I'm looking forward to this today's show. And, um, and what a great way to start a week. And I hope I can give you some background, some uh, scientific background on why inclusivity is so important. We have tons of research um, on the importance of the topic and I would love to share a few things. So thank you for having me. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Danielle. That's really, really great. Thank you, by the way, everybody who's online introducing yourselves in the chat, just as we are. So that's fantastic. Lovely to see you um, today. Uh, Marlene, of course, you probably know now, actually, if you're a regular um, producer and viewer to Level Up. She, of course, is a regular contributor and a leading expert in business relationship management. Now, Marlene also, you may, might not know this, she leads the Women of Colour staff network at the organisation where she works and always thoughtful. I think you'll agree with me. Marlene's nurturing and supportive approach opens minds to learning and personal development. So welcome back to Level Up, Marlene. Lovely to see you. Thank you for having me again, Nick. And I'd like to say a very warm welcome to all the viewers from around the world. Uh, their questions are usually fantastic and they keep us on our toes. And I can't wait to, to see what they have for us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, also new to Level Up today is Dr. Irina Yashin-Shaw. She is the founder and CEO at the Global Intrapreneurs Institute, whose mission is to empower employees to become positive change agents, solve problems and create value for their organisations. Welcome to Level Up, uh, Irina. Lovely to see you. 
Thank you so much, Nick, and thank you for inviting me to be a part of this wonderful discussion and this wonderful panel here today. I'm so excited to hear what everyone else is going to say about this. Uh, I just want to say that I'm going to bring a specific lens to everything that I contribute, which is through the, the lens of intrapreneurialism. And just to just to clarify, it is intrapreneurialism. I'm not mispronouncing the word entrepreneurialism, but we'll explain more about that as we go through. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Irina. That's really, really helpful. And I'm sure that we will come back to that. Completing our lineup for today in front of the cameras is our question master. Um, of course, this is Suchitra, Suchitra Jacob, who's joining us again from the beautiful garden city of Bangalore in southern India. Welcome, Suchitra. Hi, everyone. Great to be back again. And I'm looking forward to asking all the questions. Okay, well, excellent. Well, why don't we do that? Let's jump straight in, I think, and we'll take our first question, Suchitra, if we may. So we have a question from Margaret who asks, how would you define an inclusive workplace? Okay, Marion, why don't you start us off on this one? Um, I think an inclusive workplace is where everybody feels that they belong, that they part of everything that's going on. They look forward to going to work. They feel like everybody they work with are their friends and family, and that they can actually be authentic at who they are in that relationship because they feel secure in their belongingness in the organization. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Marlene? Uh, Margaret, to me, um, inclusive, uh, an inclusive workplace is one in which uh, I, f I can feel comfortable to bring my authentic self to work. And I know it sounds a little cliched, so I'll just add a, you know, a few words and explanation. You know, for all of us, right, when we start a new job, for example, uh, for some time, you might have to strike a balance between being authentic and assimilating with the culture of the workplace, right? And that's a very normal process um, for anyone to go through. But if that becomes the norm and you find that you have to edit, um, you know, quite something that's part of your identity, if you have to do that, um, you know, forever, that's where that feeling of not being included uh, comes into play. So for my, for in, in my case, for example, I work in a culture, um, you know, where the dominant group uh, is, is uh, Anglo-Saxon. And as a woman of color, some workplaces I don't have not felt uh, very included. In other workplaces, I've felt very comfortable about bringing my authentic self. Okay, you make a really, really good point there. Thank you so much indeed. And um, Danielle, your thoughts? Well, you know, if we talk about an inclusive culture, culture is a collaborative thing uh, where we all have to mm. contribute in in a kind way if that is possible. And uh, from a brain perspective, only when I feel yeah. safe, I really feel the safety uh, in myself and from the people around me, then I can bring my whole self to work with all the competences I have and all the things I have to offer. And if that is not the case, the company and the people around me will miss a lot of my potential, a lot of the things I can bring to the table. So from a brain perspective, it's of the, from the utmost importance to have the feeling of inclusivity, to bring my whole self and my everything I have to give to a working uh, environment. Thank you so much. And uh, Irina? Thanks, Nick. I'm going to expand the conversation a little bit. Uh, certainly, it's about everyone feeling comfortable. It's about creating a psychologically safe space in which people can contribute safely. The other thing that I would like to add that I believe does define an inclusive workplace is where people also feel that their talents and their ideas are being respected, are being welcomed, and where they can make a contribution to the work that they do in, in a number of different ways, but also bring, um, bring that sense of entrepreneurial spirit without it being censured. So I would like to add that into the consideration around an inclusive workplace. 
I, I think that that's so, so, so important. Thank you very much indeed, panel, for kind of starting us off on our, on our journey today, because um, uh, after all, we really do need to be um, heard, you know, when we are making our contributions. And um, in order to be able to do that, then that then that does require us, you know, to be listened to and and what we're saying to then be, you know, acted upon, you know. Um, so very good. So uh, really, really good question, uh, Margaret. Thank you so much. And um, uh, Sachitra, if we can, I think what we'll do is we'll go back to the panel view. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll we'll take we'll take our next question, please, if we may, Sachitra. So we have a question from Sven. A culture of inclusivity can't be dictated. What should be done to make progress despite procedures and orders? Okay, uh, Irina, why don't you start us off and then we'll hear from Danielle. So we can't dictate, as you're quite right, you, can't, you just can't go out and tell everyone, okay, we're going to be inclusive. This is something that has to be uh, demonstrated and led through example. So some very specific things that people can do to begin to nurture that culture of inclusivity is for the leaders to actually demonstrate that ideas are welcomed, that people are allowed to be themselves, that they are respected, that, that there's actually a policy for hiring diversity into the, into the workplace. So there's, it's a whole lot of things that would layer upon each other in order to be able to create that culture. And then it doesn't need to be dictated as such. You know, that's an interesting way you've framed the conversation because if, if there are a number of these contributing factors that all sort of build upon each other, then the culture will grow organically without it having to be dictated. That said, I think it is good to have those, uh, those words embedded in the company's messaging uh, in a way that mm. foregrounds it and uh, identifies how important it is. Yeah, it's, it, it is such an important signpost, isn't it, really, to set those frameworks mm. and to be clear and to have mm. that language as explicit rather than implicit. Danielle, your thoughts, please, and then we'll hear from Marion. Um, thank you, Irina. That's the first thing I wanted to start with also. It's... Um, showing uh, we don't uh, our brain does not just follow words it follows behavior and if we see that the management or the people around us uh, have this behavior of you can be yourself you can bring your ideas to the table that's the the, the first uh, Im very important thing the second is i think and that's my um the, the work i'm doing if you know a little bit about the needs of the brain, if our brain could speak, what would it say? It would say that it wants to needs to feel safe. Um, there's a nice acronym for that, and that is called the SCARF model, like a scarf. And the SCARF st stands for status, my felt status. Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do I belong? Is there a kind of certainty? Can I be certain of the behavior of the people around me that they treat me the same way and not one day very friendly, the next day toxic? So I need this kind of certainty. The A of the scarf is autonomy. Please don't micromanage because that's the biggest trigger of the brain, uh, which make, make, gives me a lot of stress. Then relatedness, the brain is a social organ. We need to feel belonging and we, we need to feel uh, safe with the people around us. And fairness, please be fair. So if we look at the scarf, if our brain could talk, it would say, please take care of the scarf acronym. And then I'm fairly fine. Okay, I, I really like that. I really like scarves as well, actually. So it's kind of, I'm kind of visual thinker. So that's got me really, really thinking and relating to uh, to that acronym. Lovely. Thank you so much, uh, Marion, and then Marlene. Thanks, Nick. Um, from a project management point of view, 
the success of the project really depends on everybody feeling included. So ways to make pro pro progress here, um, despite procedures and orders, is to involve people in your teams, in your planning. So for example, risk management, scope management, those are really good areas where you can include people who perhaps normally would not be included in meetings and give them some input into the project, particularly the people at what we call the coalface. They are related or see firsthand what happens with the work that we're doing. So if you include them in the meetings, get their opinions, it's often very beneficial to the project. The other thing that you can do in project management as well, or just general management, is looking at setting up a, a, a diverse team. So things like having um, young people with lots of new ideas, having older people with experience, and you may need to do some sort of diversity training to get people to interact with each other and work well together. But once you can get everybody playing nicely together, everybody benefits from all the differences and diversity that get brought into the team. Thanks, Nick. I, I, you know, that's quite an interesting dimension and it was not something that I had thought about um, ex, you know, completely clearly until very recently, this sense of generational inclusivity and mm. and how we might need to be more mindful um because of course you know i i i look in the mirror in the morning i don't recognize this you know elderly gentleman looking back at me you know in my in my head in my head i am timeless timeless in reality of course it's a different thing so now i need to begin thinking much more carefully about how do i create that inclusive culture for from a generational perspective as well as from other perspectives yep. as well so thank you very much indeed thanks marion uh marlene your thoughts on this um i endorse um you know everything that my colleagues on the panel have said i think all those suggestions are, are really brilliant um what i would like to to add is um you know sven a very simple way in which uh, you know, we can influence the culture of our organization, irrespective of where we are in the hierarchy, is through the language that is used. So have have a listen and just keep track of what are the sort of words or phrases that are being repeatedly said in your organization, um, you know, that everyone has just accepts, right? But perhaps those, um, those words and phrases are actually um, not very inclusive. For example, a common one is uh, the use of the word guys. I've worked in um, mm. in, in male-dominated organizations where you know it's very normal for people to say, hey, guys, or you guys, and so on. And that's not really necessarily uh, very comfortable for the few women that are present in the room. Um, mm. So just think about ways in which you might be able to change the language and you call that out, right? Mm. So you actually uh, call out very respectfully so that other people also understand. Uh, and you never know, you know, you might actually start um, start a ball rolling there. <laughs> I, I think you're yeah. right. You know, sometimes we use colloquialisms without thinking. And um, but when somebody says, when a, a colleague says, oh, look, by the way, you know, think about perhaps re reframing, you know, that use of colloquial language uh, in this way, then it suddenly becomes transformational. Yeah. People go, oh, yeah, of course, you know, of course we can do that and so on and so on. And it really starts to make a difference. Um, mm. So that's really excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, and what a brilliant question. Two amazing questions that we've had already. And if you're watching um, online, and I can see many of you are, um, it's really great to have you as part of uh, the production today. Um, so Chitra, what's actually happening over on social media? So we have a lot of viewers watching us live, Nick. We have Angelina Riza from Cardiff. Welcome, Angelina. We have Umit Ozen from Istanbul, Turkey. We also have Syed Sajid Hussein joining from Canberra, Australia. So a big welcome to all of you. Back to you, Nick. Okay. Okay. Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much, Adina. And don't forget, folks, it's it's the true power of um, the group 
that is able to ask really great questions and that gives our panel an opportunity to give us really brilliant answers. So don't be shy, put your questions um, forward, please, uh, if you can do. Now then, Suchitra, let's do that and let's take our next question, please. We have a live question from Diane. What are some options to promote inclusivity in an international multicultural organization's strategic plan or policy? Okay, very good. Marlene, why don't you start us this time and then we'll hear from Danielle. Uh, firstly, Diane, um, hello again, because I do recall you'd asked a question. Or you'd asked a couple of uh, questions, uh, you know, on a previous panel that I was part of. So it's lovely to, to have, have you back again. Um, I think the answer to your question is actually um, within your question itself, because your question calls out two important reasons uh, out of many for uh, why inclusion should be on the strategic agenda for organizations. One is uh, your organization is multi uh, international, so I assume that your customers are spread out all over the globe. And for you to be able to understand, for your organization yeah. to be able to understand the needs of its uh, customers uh, and to meet them you know, to adequate level of satisfaction, you need to have a good understanding of uh, you know, all the diverse uh, thinking patterns and, and ways of living and, and so on. And the other important reason, if, if you, um, uh, if, since your organization is operating in different cultural contexts, uh, employee engagement uh, also needs to ensure that, um, you know, inclusion is, um, you know, front and center. Um, so these are two things that I can think of, and I'll pass it on to uh, the next person in the panel. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Danielle, and then Marion. Yes, Diane, what a, what a wonderful question. What an important question. You know, we, we, words are important, but also the energy behind words is important because our energy introduces us before we even speak. And that we really, really live inclusion and, and diversity. And maybe what can be a little bit helpful is we, we always also talked about trust, how important trust is. Maybe that's also a helpful acronym in live interaction and in online interaction. You know, take trust as transparency. Do I really feel that there is a transparent culture where we can be open and honest with each other? The R of relationships. Um, do I feel seen? Do I feel heard? Again, the you of understanding. Do I felt heard and seen? Do they really listen to what I'm saying and what I bring to the table? We love our brain, love the shared success. Yes. And the deep truth telling. Is it truth? Is it the truth that is be spoken here? So maybe this little acronym of trust um, can help a little bit. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, um, Danielle. And Marion, your thoughts? Um, Diane, I also work for an international company where we have multicultural um, sort of groupings. And quite a lot of these groupings go beyond sort of just the general, it's religion, it's, it's race, it's, it's everything that looks at diversity. So what we do in our organisation from time to time is we have sort of an international meeting so it's about an hour long. We try and do it at a time slot where perhaps it's very early morning in some countries and very late afternoon um, at our head office in Sydney. And we encourage everybody from each of those um, sort of uh, subsidiaries to actually present in this meeting. So look at some of the projects that they're doing. Um, get them to present on perhaps if there's a religious holiday. What is the meaning behind that holiday? Um, looking at the sort of lifestyle. So trying to get everybody to take a chance in the organization and actually present on this forum during one or you know one of the meetings so that we can all understand all the different countries and, and how it all sort of pulls together in our organization. Because from time to time, I'm asked, for example, to assist perhaps on a proposal for the UAE or for Indonesia. So it's important for me to understand the culture um, as I'm putting that process, uh, uh, the proposal together as well. So I think just really looking at how you can bring people together to get people to understand each other and to put that into your strategic plan so it happens on a regular basis. Thanks, Nick. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much indeed, Marion. Um, excellent. Uh, Irina, your thoughts? 
I just want to bring a, a different perspective to this for a moment, which is uh, that it really helps if the organisation also understands and then publicly acknowledges the benefits of inclusion. So there's a whole lot of research. There's a wonderful body of research now that really demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that highly diverse teams, um, organisations that tap into the diversity that they have within their ranks, they are higher performers. They just do better. They succeed more easily. And I think if that aspect can be really foregrounded to say, you know, above and beyond just thinking about the fact that it's just a decent thing to do, there's actually a really strategic reason why um, inclusivity and diversity should be embraced by the organisation and that should be reflected in its strategic plan and policy. And then it becomes, well, it's crazy not to do it then. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. And to your point, um, uh, I think, you know, if we look at uh, large organisations, like let's take Apple, for instance. Okay, now I have to admit here, okay, whilst other technologies are available, I need to say that I am kind of addicted, okay, to the way in which they design things. And I love using not all, but most of what they've produced. OK, and I think it's fair to say that in the days where Steve Jobs was leading the organisation, Apple was known about um, its innovation and product design. And there was the moment with the iPhone where the breath was taken out of people's mouths in the room where he showed the first smartphone yes. and you were swiping it rather than using a keyboard. OK, so that was all about, you know, kind of innovation. Tim Cook has demonstrated, I think, year after year after year, that diversity and inclusion is the way in which you build better products, deliver better services, mm. build on that innovation. So I would say that Apple is is evolving now. It's not just about innovation. It's also about the how do you do that? How do you create you know, truly world-beating products and services. So I think that's an mm -hmm. explicit way. It's a very commercial way of demonstrating that it does work. Diane, to your point, a strategic plan needs to create value. How do you create value? Then you can either create value um, uh, externally to your stakeholders or internally to your um, employees. And you have to think about both ends of that spectrum and that is where including explicit statements to the you know to the point that the panelists have made previously um, about this can really help set that tone and ensure that all of the plans then that fit underneath that strategic intent are delivered with that in mind and that there are checks and balances measures if you like along the way to make sure that we're all making progress very good. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, um, Diane, for your question. Suchita, if we may, let's move on and take our next question, please. We have a question from Akshay Bhargava. And Akshay asks, what are the alternatives to the employee feedback system if this system fails to produce expected results for an inclusive culture? All right, so alternatives to an employee feedback system. Uh, Marion, start us off, please. Um, I'm going to make two points here. The first one is I think employee feedback systems can be very valuable if they ask the right questions. And I think more often than not, when you sort of feel that that has failed, it's because they haven't asked the right questions. And the second thing is, I think just really get in and have conversations with people. Don't do surveys. You know, perhaps ask each manager to have during the team meeting just to get general feedback from people and to present that back to management. And, you know, if you've got that safe, inclusive environment in your team, maybe this can sort of be change that bubbles up rather than change that is made from the top. Thanks, Nick. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, um, Marion. It's so important to ask the right questions, isn't it? And then I would say that working for an exam institute, questions are pretty important to us. So it's kind of at the very heart of what we so. do. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, yeah. So Danielle, next, please, mm -hmm. and then Marlene. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I like a kind feed forward systems instead of feedback systems. Um, it's all about the questions, what you just said, Marianne. Do I ask the, the right questions and do I give feed forward in a respectful way so we can grow, we can both grow? Uh, because I, I've, I've watched a lot of feedback sessions, um, you know, that, that, that brings fear. And fear locks all door to our thinking brain. So a, a kind, constructive feed-forward system is so important. And asking the right questions also means deep listening to the answers of that questions. And listening is one of the most underrated skills and one of the most important skills because when I speak, I'm in charge. I control the conversation. And the second thing is I can speak only 275 words per minute. I can listen to 500. So after three, four, five seconds, my brain starts to fill in the blanks of the missing words. So it's a skill to listen, to digest, and give feed forward in a kind of constru and constructive way. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Irina, your thoughts on this one? Um, do you know, I'm a great believer in just having some good, down-to-earth, authentic conversations. You know, this whole thing of we're going to do a formal feedback session or we're going to have a performance review or we're going to gather this data in a really um, kind of <coughs> formal, structured way has a place, but there's nothing like just going and asking someone what they think and having a conversation with them and you know, having a coffee, making it a regular part of your uh, cadence of your work life to actually go and talk to people on a regular basis, go and mm. you know, have lunch together. And it's amazing the things that we discover about the organisation when we go through those channels rather than through the official ones of, you know, this is the formal feedback system that we're doing. Um, and yeah. so I'm a great believer in really building those relationships organically and, and having those conversations that, where people feel so comfortable that they'll end up sharing information that you otherwise would not have uncovered in a formal feedback process. It's so very, very important, isn't it? I, I, I was going <laughs> to... I was going to add some more, Irina, but you've all kind of covered it off, uh, I think. You know, little and often is a great phrase to be able to use to genuinely have those grown-up conversations with each other. And and also mm -hmm. to allow sometimes as well, um, if you're going to do something which is more structured, you know, allow a bit of time to implement what you find out. There's little point in finding things out mm -hmm. in a survey if you don't go on and do something about it. You go and do something about it. It's going to take time to be able to measure outcomes and then come back around the circle again. So signposting those things is important. And in the interim, um, share, gather, reflect, uh, respond, um, you know, uh, highlight that people have raised you know, thoughts and ideas and made their contributions. And then on the back of those, you know, this is what you're now doing as a result of that input or feedback from different teams within your organization. So really very good indeed. Thank you very much indeed, panel. So Chita, if we can, let's move on. We'll take our next question. We have a live question from Stefan. Stefan asks, Nick mentioned generational behavior. How can that work in turn for the many generations that we have as colleagues today? All right, it's a really good practical question, isn't it? How do we span all of the generations that are working together in our organisations, whether they're government or commercial? Uh, Marion, what, what advice would you give to folks who are in this situation? Well, as I wanted to say when you mentioned earlier about looking in the mirror, I still feel 25, even although I'm a long way off that. And I think just everybody, I've always felt that everybody from age of 25 to 65 is on the same level. We're all adults. There shouldn't be any sort of hierarchy there. Just because I'm three years older than you or something like that doesn't mean anything in the workplace. And that we should all just take our egos out of it and just get on with everybody else. And I think 
if you are in an environment where everybody can talk and share sort of um sort of experiences and stories um that and get to know each other it sort of takes that sort of generational side away we're always going to have a sort of let's say under 40s having really good ideas having a lot more energy the over 40s are going to perhaps have a little less energy but they've got a lot of experience and i think at that respect all the differences and the diversity that we each bring into the workplace can just be understood, acknowledged. Uh, it'll just be such a, a better place to work and everybody would gain from that. Sorry, I've gone around in circles a little bit there, but if you get the chance. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely <laughs> fine, Marion. I, I, think, I think you're expressing <laughs> what we all feel. So that's perfectly all right. No problem at all. Irina and then Marlene, please. I wanted to say that I, I actually think that having multi-generational workforces right now is so exciting. The, the prospect mm. of being in a workplace that spans, you know, five decades of, 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 gen, of people um, in age groups is one of the most, uh, you know, invigorating and vibrant um, factors that an organisation can tap into. And something that could work really well in a multi-generational workplace is to, in fact, implement some kind of a, a reverse mentoring process where it, we always think of, you know, the older people as having the wisdom and the experience to be mentoring the younger ones. But we're, we're seeing young people come through today with so many incredible ideas and they're bringing a lot mm. of excitement and vibrance and you know very interesting skills into their jobs that it would really pay to do reverse mentoring so maybe one of the sometimes you could have graduates uh, could be mentoring the ceo in fact i know of quite a number of ceos who actually make that yeah. part of their their process and they want to hear from the, the the young people who've come on board they make it a point to go and talk to them and say you know what do you see that i'm not seeing um what what can you tell me that maybe i'm missing because i've been here for so long so that reverse mentoring mm -hmm. can be such a powerful way of liberating uh, some incredible potential within the organization so generational uh, talent within the workplace is, is something to be really celebrated and embraced thank you very much what a great idea to um, structure it that way around and really think about that and produce that value mm -hmm. internally Marlene and then Danielle uh, Stefan thank you for uh, raising that question uh, what I would like to uh, you know to attention is that um, you know while we talk when we think about diversity you know it's, it's easy to think about it in in uh, you know in separate uh, pockets like you know um, people who have different abilities or people come from different cultures or different age groups but it, you know or gender but in actual fact uh, you know the intersectionality is something um, you know that's also significant uh, and more likely to get ignored so someone you know um, who um, um, you know who's a woman and of a certain uh, age etc their experience would be completely different to a woman who's of a, of a younger age or, or an older age right so um, consider you know when, uh, and I thought uh, uh, Irina's suggestion earlier about um, reverse mentoring and also having coffee catch-ups and so on they're just absolutely brilliant but plan to ask questions that will help to surface uh, you know, some of these uh, intersectional aspects, right? Um, because, like, I, I've worked in organizations where they have introduced uh, coffee roulettes and things as a way of uh, promoting diversity, uh, but, you know, where we don't actually give people some guidance on the sorts of things that they want to uh, try and listen out for, uh, then those, you know, those measures have very limited impact. So, uh, try some of these suggestions, Stefan, and I wish you all the best. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Danielle? Yes, uh, Arena, the reverse mentoring, I already did it with a few companies, and it's amazing, it is wonderful. And you have to make some rules, and it's often the, the little bit seasoned people who think, I'm sometimes one of them, you know, I think I'm 54, I know how life works, so 
please listen, I'm going to talk. Um, they have to shut up and listen to the younger people. And the reverse mentoring project with it, they were awesome. They were wonderful. It's, it's really, really great. I cannot um, say enough how great and important that is. Uh, last month, I was with an organization which was very hierarchical. And all young people had to listen to the hippo, the highest paid person in the organization. And I th thought, what a disaster here. You're missing so much of all the brilliant minds that are now in your company. And an interesting thing is a couple of weeks ago, I read in a study of the, I think it was the University of St. Gallen, uh, who did research on mixed teams. So uh, where there was respect for the civil society, you know, the, the seasoned people and the younger people, they work together uh, amongst others in reverse mentoring, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and uh, the results on complex tasks, because we have a lot of difficult things to to manage in our in our complex society, they were amazing. So the most amazing results came from mixed teams, where five generations were sharing knowledge and ideas together. Thank you so much indeed. There's <laughs> such value in all of this, isn't there? One of the things that I would say is um, uh, is about retention, okay? Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, trying to create that culture of inclusivity. One of the benefits of doing this is that you're actually able to retain uh, talent within your organisation. Um, it gets very samey after a little while. You know, there are only so many revolutions of the roundabout that you're on, so many financial quarters, financial years, so many um, uh, public reports of progress that you can make, so on and so on, about a business mm -hmm. before it all becomes terribly familiar. And the risk of that is that people will search for new outlets for their creativity as soon as they start to feel yeah. that their value, their contribution is diminishing over time. So pairing people up with different experiences, forming new teams with different challenges and different dynamics is a super amazing way to re-energize. How many of us have worked for an organization and you kind of plateau and then you sort of get a new challenge and you fire up again and you really get engaged and it gets very exciting again and so on and all consuming and that is such an important cycle to consider for everybody and um, Irina um, please help me out and add a little more to this particular question oh what you just said um, just then about people finding an, uh, uh, an alternative outlet for their creativity just rang such a bell with me that I just wanted to chime in to say that we hear a lot at the moment about side hustles. Now, a lot of people with jobs currently also have a side hustle. And that's because they're looking for an outlet for their talent. They're looking for yes. an outlet for their creativity. They want mm. to be able to, you know, do something where they've got control over something and they can, you know, create they can create it as they want to. And I think that a lot of the reason why that's happening is because they don't necessarily get that outlet in their substantive jobs. And this is where I believe that intrapreneurialism is absolutely the next big wave that's going to redefine the way we run our organisations and the way we we invite participation and the way we do leadership, all of that, because there's this absolute imperative need right now for any business, whether large or small, education, not-for-profit, to tap into those enormous reserves of talent and, and creativity and problem-solving skills to be able to bring them into their jobs. And if only they were given that little bit of latitude and permission and worked within an authorising environment that, that enabled them and <clears throat> empowered them to use those great ideas and that passion, there would just be such an explosion of productivity within workplaces. We just wouldn't, you know, it would just drive the global economy. That's going to be the next driver for the global economy. So um, I, I just can't. I can't stress it enough. It's about tap into the talent of your people, allow them to bring that creativity to work and help them to be able to solve problems yes. that are important for the business. Um, and then, you know, people will feel fulfilled and like they're being driven by mm -hmm. purpose. And that's, that is the 
going to be the beauty of the next incarnation of our workplaces. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I think we're going to come back to that little word beginning with P in a few moments. Okay. But while we think about that for a moment or two, um, Chitra, what's been happening over on the social chat looks really active today. Give us some highlights. We have more people joining us, Nick. So we have Femelo, Victor joining us from Botswana. We have Agogo joining us again. They have not mentioned where they are from. We also have A. Basiru joining us from Dakar. Okay. Okay. Now, I, I recognize Agogo from previous episodes. So thank you very much for tuning in again. We really appreciate it. And uh, Faye, we really hope that... Uh, that you're going to um, follow us each week as well. So do, while you've got the chance, um, folks, get your question into the panel because we don't have that much time left. So Chitra, on that note, let's take our next question, if we may. We have a question from Maria. Why does inclusivity very often get stuck, although all say that they want it? Okay. All right. So why do we kind of get stuck a little bit and treacle is poured in the machine? Uh, Marion, what are your thoughts? I think sometimes management have best intentions, but they don't really understand the implications of their actions. Just to give you a, a quick example here, a couple of years ago, I worked for a company where they used to have this thing of employee of the month or employee of the year or, you know, a consultant of the year or whatever they were doing. And what they didn't seem to understand is you're giving awards out to maybe 10 or 20% of your employees. But what you're effectively saying to the other 80 or 90% is you're not good enough to be recognized. And so you've got 10% of your organization that thinks, oh, this is great. But the other 90% are just gradually becoming disengaged or thinking, well, I'm not appreciated here. I'm going to look somewhere else. And I think that um, there needs to be a sort of deeper understanding of the programs that management put in place to sort of perhaps do a devil's advocate for somebody to say, is this really the best thing that we can do? If we look at the current working arrangements, it's more team-based. So if we're going to do recognition and reward, it should be the whole team because they are the ones that contribute to the results of the organization, not individuals. That's a very 1980s way of approaching work where in those days, sure, we had individuals who were perhaps contributing huge amounts. But I think if nowadays people take their career seriously, everybody feels that they do their best. And when they don't get recognized or get these rewards, um, it can be very demotivating and very excluding because now you're not part of that sort of, um, you know, the top club, you know, you're, you're now you know, not such a great employee almost, if you, the way you look at it. So I would say get rid of reward programs that don't recognise teams. Okay, thank you very much indeed, uh, Marion. Danielle, how would you go about unsticking things when things are stuck? Um, Marion, I'm with you. Tell me how you're going to measure me. And I'm going to show you how I mm. will behave according to that measurement. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. ex executive, the, the employee of the month or the bonus system, you know, I'm going to behave like that. Um, one thing uh, we know from underlying things that get stuck, there are a few, are a few things in the interaction with people. Often, the things that where we get stuck is there is some power. There is a struggle around power and control who is the powerful person and who is going to control. So it's not a two-way street. Care and closeness. Is that, do I feel care and closeness? If it is there, I'll open up and I work with you. And respect and recognition. Is it not there? You know, I'm going to say yes, but internally I go, uh -uh, no way. So it is, it, the struggles always circle around uh, power and control, care and closeness and respect and recognition. And the second thing is, if I have my purpose, if I feel I belong and it makes sense, the things I'm doing, oh, it goes a long way. Um, I don't know if you all know the, um, the book of um, an anthropologist, David Graeber. He wrote a book about bullshit jobs. 37 
90% of the people worldwide describe their own job as a bullshit job. So it's not me saying to the other person, well, what you're doing, <laughs> what bullshit. People call their own work they're doing a bullshit job. If I leave the company, if I walk out the door, no one noticed what I do is not contributing to anything. So if I have this feeling of not having a purposeful thing to do, nothing is going to work. Then we get stuck. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you very much. And um, mm -hmm. Irina, final thoughts on this one? I want to circle back to something that Marion said just before, and I was so delighted to hear her say that about, you know, the, the importance over the years that employee of the month and employee of the year type awards have, have taken. And, and in the work that I've done over the years, I often hear managers saying, oh, well, you know, who should we put through your entrepreneurialism programs? And they'll go, well, well, we'll go to the high potentials or we'll go to the management or we'll go to um, people who've scored really high on X, Y, Z tests. And, and it just really used to irk me because I think, no, just open it up to anyone and whoever puts their hand up to say, I want to do this, I want to learn how to be entrepreneurial, take them. <laughs> you know? Take the yes. people who are wanting to do what they they right. want to do it, you know, work with the willing. Don't just mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to just make this open to just a few people. And that's one of the things that I've um, I've had issues with, but with organisations that have got specific intrapreneurship programs. You know, right, 50,000 people in the organisation that got an intrapreneurship program that realistically 30 people can go into and they go through this stage gate process. And I go, well, what about the other, you know, 99.9%? .9 You've got so much talent there. What are you going to do for them? And so my work has been very much around kind of making this a much more inclusive process about how do we, how do we enfranchise the majority of the workforce rather than a little tiny minority? And so let's not just take just take the focus off that employee of the year and you know make it anyone who wants mm. to liberate their talent can can be part of this process fabulous mm -hmm. fabulous i love that um alliteration there of liberating the talent in your organization really great so panel um, i think we're down to our final question we may need to be fairly quick as we dance through this one um so suchitra uh, please can we have our last question our last question is from Harry. What are three actions I could take now at the management level of an organization to build a more inclusive culture? Okay, Danielle, why don't you start us off with one and then we'll come to colleagues for their thoughts. Uh, my final thought is, uh, we have to be aware of the fact that the brain is not a thinking organ, it's a social organ. We only thrive in good social interaction and our thinking brain is a subsystem of our brain, not the primary brain. So if we know about the behavior and the needs of people, we get a very, very long way. It goes a long way. Okay. All right. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Marion, one of your actions for the management level of an organization. All right, I think I would look at the structure of the organization and just double check if it actually allows for collaborative work between people. I think a lot of organizations are still very siloed and that also sort of takes away the inclusivity. Um, you, to feel inclusive, you really need to be part of the discussion and part of the collaboration. So knock down those walls. Yeah. Excellent, excellent, <laughs> excellent advice there. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I think one of the things that you could do at a, as, a, at a, as a manager is um, to start having the two-way conversation. What I mean by that is to gather input from, you know, your colleagues and your contributors and also mm -hmm. to start expressing that input and also, you know, getting reflections and feedback and commitment from managing up the organisation. Don't forget that, Pretty much all of us actually exist in um, somewhere in the middle. So we need to manage up as proactively as we need to manage down yeah. in organizations. So really do think about that. How can I, how can I, what was that, what was that saying? Whatever your, whatever your manager is interested in, 
probably a good idea for you to become passionate about. Now, I don't always agree with that. <laughs> however, however, <laughs> there's something in it. If you're putting energy and excitement and content and so on and so on in, then you earn the right, don't you, to be listened to as well. So that can sometimes be the precursor to have these more challenging conversations. So there you go. There's a thought um, for you, uh, Irina, and then we'll come to Marlini. Okay, so just uh, in, I'll just offer one thing about uh, about the question that Harry's asked, and and that would be the, the concept of democratization, democratization of decision making, democratization of of sharing of responsibility, so that it it comes out of the hands of a few, and is then spread across and multiple people who then when they become part of the decision-making process within their team, within their organisation, feel like they, they've really got skin in the game and they, they want mm. to bring their best to work. So I would say democratise the decision-making. Excellent. Thank you very much. Marlene, final thoughts? Uh, I'd like to build on what Irina has, has just said. Uh, Harry, what you don't want to do is say that this is going to be, you know, set up a a diversity and inclusion team and say that, uh, you know, they're responsible, um, you know, for, for an inclusive culture. Um, I think management needs to very clearly state that an inclusive workplace is everybody's responsibility. That cannot be emphasized enough. Absolutely right. Thank you very much indeed. What a great question to end on. Gives us a springboard into for all of us to think about what action we can take from today's level up and to make a positive change to our workplace environment and our workplace culture. Um, so let's hear some closing remarks then from the panel. Um, Marlene, if I may, I'm going to come to you first and then to Marion. Uh, thank you, Nick, and all our producers for the wonderful questions. I think we could have we could have easily spent another three or four hours uh, discussing this very important topic. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing I would I would like to say um, is a, a lot of times I find organisations are struggling to come up with answers, um, you know, uh, to to challenges like say diversity and inclusion, without actually acknowledging that uh, the, the employees that they have are actually the best people to help them address and resolve those um, challenges, mm -hmm. right? So um, if you want to have a more uh, inclusive workforce, mm -hmm. then you actually involve your employees in creating that workforce. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Edith. What a great thought. Marion and then mm -hmm. Irina. Uh, thanks very much, Nick, again, for the opportunity to process participate. This has been a great discussion. Just one last comment from me as a change manager. It's very important to understand what the organizational culture is and then look at what inclusivity means to your organization. It's not mm. going to look the same for every single organization. Thanks, Nick. Thank you very much, Irina and then Danielle. I just want to say how impressed I am with the incredible diversity of participants in this. I've just been watching all of the people who are popping up on social media and you've got like nearly every country in the world represented here. Uh, and it's such a privilege and an honour and delight to be part of this process. Uh, I would really like to say to everyone who's watching, please connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, Dr. Arena Yashin Shaw. If you're interested in the topic of entrepreneurialism, just connect with me and, and or send me a message and I'm more than happy to send you a soft copy of my book, Intrapreneur. And, and can continue the conversation about it in that context. But it's been wonderful to be here and I'm very grateful to you, Nick, for having me um, participate. Not at all. We were absolutely delighted to do so. So what a great idea as well. Linking in uh, on LinkedIn, of course, with um, our mm -hmm. panellists. Excellent. Thank you so much. And Danielle? Oh, why is it over? So much to talk about. We cannot stop here. <laughs> Thank you all for the beautiful questions, for the wonderful conversations. And uh, my last thought is if you don't understand people and their emotions, how can one understand business? You know, and there is no magic wand uh, to empower people. The most important thing is building relationships and not just transactional conversations. Um, we are social organs. We need each other. So thank you very much for having me. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much indeed, um, Danielle. Uh, fantastic contribution from everybody today. Um, so, Chita, your reflections on what has been very interesting, wide-ranging conversation. Yeah, indeed, Nick. And I enjoyed listening to every single panelist. It's been an amazing time. And our viewers as well, like Irina mentioned, we've had people from all over the globe. And thanks to Diane and Stefan for their live questions as well. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely right. So thank you so much, everybody, on behalf of APMG and our global community. Thank you for giving your time so generously. I'd like to thank all of our producers online, of course, for your excellent questions today. Really great job. And um, watch out for your name in those credits. Um, so let's uh, think a little bit as well about where do you go from here? Well, over on the APMG International website, you can, of course, search for the answers to more than 1,400 questions, which have been asked and answered now across our social media content. It's a comprehensive free resource connecting you with more than 140 experts from all over the world in different disciplines. Don't forget, you can also listen to the audio versions of the shows on your preferred podcast platform. Now, this coming Friday on the 26th, we're going to be talking about leadership and in particular, how do you lead in an agile environment? We take a little break next Monday before returning on Friday the 2nd of September to focus on building winning public-private partnership teams. And that's all ahead of the Labor Day weekend holiday. Subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and how you too can join us here on the panel and level up your career with APMG. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time.